Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hello, Real Life Church. God bless you. I'm Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. I am so thankful for this season and the life of our church. There are so many cool things going on. We opened our new pantry last weekend. We fed people who drove their cars through our Glendora location. We're going to be doing that every second and fourth Saturdays of the month. So thank you for all of you who volunteered, who gave out food and when we weren't giving out food, went and helped us paint rooms in our Glendora campus to get it ready for worship services in April. That was, that was a phenomenal day. And I was so thankful for the hearts of everybody involved who stepped out and said, uh, I, I believe God cares for people in need and I want to be on the forefront of Jesus' work in this world. So thank you for all of you who helped with that. And Alpha again was in week three of four. Uh, this Monday is our last week of Alpha in this round. But again, a phenomenal turnout. Uh, I saw people we've never met before, who've never been to our church before. Uh, Alpha, if you're new, is one of these uh, ministries that we host where we give a free dinner away at Frisella's Restaurant in Glendora. We show a little 20-minute video that introduces people to the Christian faith, and then we discuss it around tables. And it was, a, it was a great Monday again this last week. So again, thanks to all of you who have come to that, prayed for that, brought a friend to that, sent a friend to that. Uh, that's been a great outreach for us. So I'm, I'm thankful for all that. And here comes April. Here comes Easter and a new campus that's opening. So we've got a lot uh, coming in front of us. We're now uh, wrapping up our three-week series uh, called Rich, in which we're looking at three principles of managing the resources that God gives us. And these three principles come from a sermon preached by John Wesley in 1750. He said, uh, when it comes to money, you should gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. So we looked at, at God's call to uh, uh, command the resources that he gives us to live productive lives, and then to save them, which John Wesley means don't waste them, don't just go spend them uh, luxuriously. And today we're going to look at what it means to give all we can. And, and the big challenge I think a lot of us face when it comes to giving all we can is we ask the question, what if all I have to give is not that much? What if all I have to give is not that significant? Does it matter that I give? Let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll dive into God's word together. Jesus, I thank you that you are in command of all the resources in our hands. I thank you that you've given us exactly what we need for this season. You know what's coming in the next season. You know how to walk us through the process of growing in wisdom and stewardship so that we can manage the resources that you give us wisely both to be prepared for the, the things that we know are coming and to be open to the surprises that you would lead us to. Jesus, may we approach the things of this world with absolutely faith, absolute faith that it is your kingdom that matters. Let us rest in your goodness to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Today we're going to be reading from the book of 
Esther, which is appropriate this week. You may not know this, but the the Jewish people once a year celebrate a holiday called Purim in which they remember the story of the book of Esther. And that was uh, March 17th. That's this week. And so we're going to be reading from the book of Esther this week and look at what God calls us to give and when God calls us to give it. Uh, To set up the book of Esther a little bit, in case you have not read it before, there's a lot of characters in the story. And so I need to give you Uh, uh, some historical context and some main characters in order to get into this passage that we're going to read. So some 500 years before Jesus, give or take, there was a, a season in which the Jewish people were conquered by the Babylonians and taken into slavery in Babylon. But there's always a bigger fish in the ocean. And so Persia, a bigger empire than Babylon, comes in and conquers Babylon. So now the Jewish people are enslaved to the Persians. The Persians will eventually just let them free and go back and rebuild Israel. This is just a few hundred years before Jesus walks the earth. But in this season, in the story of Esther, uh, the Jewish people are now ruled over by Persia because Persia has conquered Babylon. Esther is a young Jewish woman who has been married to King Xerxes of Persia. She's been been, uh, given as a bride to him. This is back in the uh, days of polygamy where a king would have many wives and she is one of his wives. And uh, she is, has been raised by a man named Mordecai who's like her ab- adoptive father. So he's the father figure for her in the story. Now Xerxes, King Xerxes of Persia, has a top appointed official named Haman. And Haman uh, wants everybody to follow the rules of the, the nation and demands that they worship Xerxes and consequently to worship or to uh, pay all respect to Haman, the uh, the leader of uh, Xerxes' people, right? His his top appointed official. Mordecai, this, this Jewish man, refuses to bow before Haman because Mordecai will only bow before God. He will not bow before an official of the state. And so Haman is incensed and wants to kill Mordecai. And not only that, wants to kill all the Jewish people, including Esther, the wife of the king. Well, in today's passage, we're going to find out that the word gets back to Esther about what Haman is planning. And Mordecai goes to her to tell her this story and tell her that she needs to act to defend herself and him and all of her people. So we're going to pick up today uh, and look at the the story of Esther in chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. Uh, we're going to be in, uh, it's, you're going to hear a reference to a character that doesn't play a big role. Uh, Hathak is a servant of Esther. So uh, verse 6, so Hathak, Esther's servant, went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of all the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. So Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Mordecai uh, can't go and see Esther because now she's in the king's palace. But he is, as I said, he's kind of her adoptive father. And he's found out about this plot that Haman has to kill all the Jewish people. So Mordecai sends a message to Esther through Hathak. Uh, here's, here's the warning. Here's what's coming. 
Verse 10, then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. You can't just walk in and talk to the king, even if you're his wife. You can't just walk in and approach him. And if you do, the law is you will be put to death unless the king extends a scepter to you and spares your life. So you're taking a big risk to go and approach the king. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go see the king. Esther says, he hasn't called for me recently. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he then sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So they're, they're running messages back and forth. Mordecai says, go warn Esther, here's the plot. Esther says, I can't go talk to the king. I'll be killed if I do. I'm not allowed to just go approach the king. Mordecai says, look, God's going to spare the Jewish people one way or another. And you can either be part of God's plan or not. If you choose not to be a part of God's plan, you and your family will perish. But maybe you've been put in this, this royal place. You've been put in this place in the, in the royal palace for such a time as this to deliver the Jewish people. And so that's uh, his warning to Esther. And Esther says, well, then I'll, I'll do it. And if I perish, I perish. If the king decides to have me put to death because I've stepped in his presence, then so be it. Uh, I'm going to act because who knows if for such a time as this, uh, I've been placed in the royal palace. What, what strikes me about the story of Esther is that she did not have a lot to give. She doesn't have any resources to bring to the table, and it doesn't cost her any resources. She has no weapons with which to fight and defend her people. And she's not a wordsmith. She doesn't craft a beautiful speech to convince the king. What she has is an appointment for this particular time and place, to be where she is when God wants her there. She's simply at the place that God has put her, and that's what she has. When it comes to answering God's call, to giving resources where resources are needed, to giving all I can, I might worry that I don't have enough, that my gift won't have an impact, that there are others who can give huge astronomical gifts or others who are of huge importance and their voices carry further than mine. But God doesn't call me to have a lot of resources. God calls me to obey. God calls me to do what he wants me to do at the time he wants me to do it. God calls me to appointments, not to achievements. 
And when I say to myself, maybe I won't have enough, maybe my gift won't matter, at that point, I'm not worshiping the God of the Bible. I'm not worshiping Jesus. I'm worshiping the the achievement God. The achievement God tells you, you're not going to count unless you accomplish more. Your life isn't valuable unless you achieve more. And so you should drive yourself and produce more and work harder and sleep less and stress more. You should have more money and more resources and more importance, more prominence. You should drive your whole life towards that kind of achievement. Fill the trophy case so that your life matters. And if you worship the achievement God, you will find that the achievement God is merciless. And it will never be enough. And after you have spent your life driving yourself and you get midway through life and realize it's not going to be enough, the achievement God will demand child sacrifice and will insist that you sacrifice your children's happiness and well-being by driving them to achieve in your place. And you will put them in all the classes and you will put them in all the activities and you will groom their resume and you will drive them for the right schools and the right job and more and more achievements and more and more resources until they get midway through life and realize it has not been enough. The achievement God is a merciless God and he is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible does not call you and I to achievements to get our names in the history books, or to fill the trophy case. Jesus calls us not to achievements, but to appointments. And all he needs from you and I is for us to be in the place where we're appointed to be and to say yes. The achievement God is a merciless God. Jesus is a merciful and loving God who wants to fill our lives with purpose by simply fulfilling the appointments that he calls us to. What surprises me about Esther is that she has very little to offer, but she's appointed for such a time as this to do what she's called to, and because of her, her entire people are saved. She'll then uh, throw a couple of parties for the king, and then she'll tell the king what Haman has done, and uh, the king will spare Mordecai and spear Haman, and that's the end of Haman. Giving all you can doesn't mean having a lot. It doesn't mean having an excess. It simply means having what God puts in your hands and doing with it what God tells you to do when he calls you to do. Remember, you may pray for an oak tree, You may say, uh, in order to have enough, I need an oak tree, and God will only give you an acorn. And you'll look at that and say, that's not enough. I can't succeed with this. But God has given you exactly the resources that you need to tend to that acorn, to mature it into an oak tree. And in that process, he will work in your heart the development of wisdom and good stewardship. And all you need to do is tend to the gifts that he gives you so that when he calls on you to utilize them, the gifts are ready and you are ready. You're not called to achievements. You're called to appointments. So there are two steps involved in giving all we can. First, we have to let God set the appointments for us instead of pursuing achievements. 
There's a, a story of this in, uh, in the book of Acts in the New Testament. The book of Acts is the story of the early Christians after Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. And there's a moment at which Philip, the disciple of Jesus, is sent on a mission. The Spirit sends Philip to go and meet someone. There's an Ethiopian riding along in a chariot and reading the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah talks about a suffering servant who is to come. And here this Ethiopian is reading the story of Isaiah and not really knowing the context and not knowing what Isaiah is referring to. And Philip is, is I mean, excuse me, the Ethiopian is confused by this. And right at the moment, the Ethiopian is reading the story of Isaiah. Philip appears and says, what are you reading? And the Ethiopian says, I'm confused by this. How am I supposed to understand it if nobody explains it to me? And Philip opens up the scriptures with him and explains how Isaiah prophesied the coming of a Messiah and that that Messiah was Jesus of Nazareth. And the Ethiopian converts and decides to follow Jesus. And Philip baptizes him right there. And then Philip moves on. What resources did Philip bring to the table? He knew the scriptures and he listened to the Spirit. And that's it. And that's all you need to have a meaningful, purposeful, impactful, world-changing life. Know the Word of God and listen to the Spirit of God. That's all you're called to do. Don't seek achievements in this world. Listen for the appointments that God has for you. And I'll tell you a little of what that looks like uh, from an experience I had. Uh, I I remember one day uh, being out uh, driving around in my car and saying to myself, I'm going to try to listen to God today, and I'm going to let uh, God direct me. It, it was a day off. I didn't have anything on the calendar. It was a free day, and I thought, I'm just going to let God tell me where to go. And I'm going to listen for the Holy Spirit. And so I'm, I'm literally out just kind of driving around, letting, letting God nudge me where God uh, wants me to go. And it was in the middle of the afternoon, and uh, I was out, I think I was out in Upland. And I, I felt what I thought was the Spirit nudging me. Uh, uh, saying, uh, go to Chick-fil-A. Now, there are all kinds of spirits inside of me that tell me to go to Chick-fil-A every day. So I I have to ask myself, is this really the spirit or do I just want Chick-fil-A? But the truth is, I I remember, I thought to myself, you know, I've already had lunch today. I'm really not hungry. I don't want Chick-fil-A. And I love Chick-fil-A. I really didn't, I just wasn't hungry and I didn't want, I didn't want ice cream. I I really didn't want anything. And I felt this really strong nudge, no, go go get in line at at Chick-fil-A. And this was during the pandemic, so the only thing that was open was the drive-thru. And I thought, well, I'll do it, but if I buy food at Chick-fil-A, I'm just going to give it to some homeless person because I'm really not hungry. I don't, I don't want to. This isn't for me, which made me suspicious all the more that it actually might be the Spirit of God leading me. So I get in line at Chick-fil-A, and I'm, I'm waiting through the line, and they're taking orders out in the, the driveway. Uh, and uh, one of the employees comes up along, alongside my car. Now, on my car, I have a real-life bumper sticker. And if you've seen our bumper stickers, they don't say real-life on them. They say R-L-L-A. But if you don't know what that is, you're not going to recognize it. it. It doesn't say real-life church or anything like that. And I have, I have mine on the side of my car because the back of my car isn't metal, so it won't stick back there. So I've stuck it on the side of my car. And I'm, I'm in the line, and the guy comes up to the side of my car, and he sees the bumper sticker that says R-L-L-A, and he looks at it, and he goes, Oh, Real life church, do you go there? And I thought, what, 
Do I go there? How do you know what the church is? You don't know who I am. <laughs> do I go there? I said, yeah, actually, I'm the, I'm the pastor of Real Life Church. He goes, oh, I know some people who go there. That's why I recognize the logo. I know, and he named the people in our congregation who went there. And I thought, wait a minute. I felt inclined to go to Chick-fil-A when I wasn't hungry and didn't want to. I actually fought the instinct to, to go here. And here this guy just out of the blue recognizes a logo very distinctly and clearly hasn't been here before because he doesn't know the pastor of the church, but he knows our logo. And so I started chit-chatting with him. I introduced myself and I, I think I said something like, hey, why don't, you, why don't you come check out the church? And then afterwards, I texted the people in our congregation that he mentioned and said, hey, your friend at, who works at Chick-fil-A, uh, he knows who we are. And I feel like God might be working on him because I felt like I was sent there to meet him. And they consequently followed up with him to have conversations about faith. When we open ourselves to God's leading and we try to listen to the Spirit, God will call us to appointments that don't require resources. We don't have to have massive achievements behind us to be worthy of the appointments. We just have to know who God is and listen to his spirit. We need to study the scriptures to know God's will and then listen to how the spirit guides us. We're called to appointments, not to achievements. And that happens over and over again in the scriptures and in the course of our lives. I mean, look at, the, look at the very life of Jesus. If Jesus were pursuing achievements, Jesus would have written something down. Jesus would have made sure his name was known. He would have made sure he made a mark on the world and captured his own writings or told somebody, hurry up, write down everything I'm saying. This is really important. But we don't have any record of that. The only thing Jesus ever wrote was when he bent down and wrote in the dust on the ground, knowing that the wind would blow away, the only thing he ever wrote. I think the reason he could do that was because he was so confident when he said the words, my words will never pass away. He could write only in the dust because he knew his words would be lasting. He knew he was perfectly fulfilling the will of the Father by going where the Father called him. And he did not have to make his mark on this world by writing things down. Contrast that with something I saw uh, when I was in Hawaii. There are these old ancient uh, carvings in the stones of Hawaii. Back from hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, Hawaiian petroglyphs that capture this, this part of history from long ago. And the only thing we have left from some of ancient Hawaii are these petroglyphs carved in the rocks. And so when, when people discover them, they're marked as historical landmarks and people will go hike out in the, the forest to find them and look at them, take pictures of them. I remember seeing this petroglyph in one of the Hawaiian islands, this, this ancient carving, which was now this valuable piece of history. And before it had been marked off and preserved and fenced, somebody had found it and carved their own name in the rock alongside this ancient petroglyph. So here you have this, this valuable piece of history captured for us to study and remember, and somebody had written next to it, Joe was here, 89. Joe didn't feel real good about the impact he was having on the world, felt like he needed to leave his name in one more place. 
And now it was just this ugly scar, this ugly graffiti on something that was so important. If we worship the achievement God, we will run around trying to carve our names in the world. And in that overzealousness to leave our marks on the world, what we'll leave behind are simply scars. The dictator of Russia is now trying to leave his name on the world. You may not know this, but his father was an atheist and his mother was a Christian. And most of his closest colleagues say the father's voice is the one that won out in his own heart. So now he's trying to leave his name on the world, leave his mark, a testimony to his own greatness. And all he's leaving behind is scars. Because he's worshiping the achievement God. A merciless God who's never satisfied. When we follow Jesus, we don't have to struggle to leave our names on the world. We just have to listen for the guiding of the Spirit and let Him set appointments for us where we change the world in Jesus' name. We're called to appointments, not to achievements. And the first thing to remember is that it's in listening to God's appointments that we find our purpose. The second thing we need to remember about giving all we can is that we need expectation, not excess. Mordecai didn't say to Esther, you'd better have a lot of resources piled up. You'd better have a lot of money or we'll go pile up a lot of weapons to make sure we're ready to fight. What he said to her is, you have been appointed for such a time as this. And God's going to do what God's going to do with or without you. If you want to be a part of what God is doing, then respond when he calls. What we need is an expectation that God is going to act when we're faithful, not an excess of resources that we have to bring to the table. Do you remember the story in the ministry of Jesus of the time when there were thousands of people, four or 5,000 people gathered together and they were hungry and a little boy stepped forward and said, I have five loaves and two fish. And Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish and with that fed thousands of people. Think about what was going on in the mind of that little boy. There are two choices. Either he was an idiot and thought he could feed all kinds of people with very little. Or he was extremely expectant that God could do something more than what was tangibly possible. And having read the stories of Jesus through the better part of my life, I have the feeling it was the latter. I have the feeling that this little boy's story is recorded because of his great faith. He stepped forward with what he had, most likely at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Because he had an expectation that God could use what he had to do what God had intended. What we need is the expectation that God will use what we have when we fulfill his appointments, not an excess of resources. All we need is an acorn buried in the soil of faith and watered with wisdom in order to produce an oak tree. Uh, I, I uh, not that long ago, went down to a, a pantry where I was uh, giving out food to people. And while I was waiting in line at the pantry, sometimes I'll stop and I'll, I'll ask people if they want prayer. And I stopped and prayed for a woman and she got a little bit tearful and said she was uh, out of a job and hunting for a job. And that's why she was at the pantry getting groceries 
uh, to make ends meet. And I prayed for her that she would find a job. And uh, we exchanged contact information. Uh, and I, uh, I said, you know, let me, let me know how this goes. Let me know where you land. And uh, months went by and I didn't hear anything. And I thought I wouldn't hear from her again. And recently I got a, a contact through LinkedIn. And she said, you may not remember me, but you prayed for me in line at the pantry. And now I have a job and I'm a recruiter. And I'm helping other people find jobs. She actually said, hey, we're looking for a chaplain at a hospital. Do you want to be a chaplain at a hospital? I said, no, I'm happy where I am, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll help you look for a chaplain for the hospital. And this is important because if we get somebody in place in a hospital who loves Jesus, that person will change countless lives in Jesus' name. And when I went down to the pantry to help, I didn't have, I didn't have resources. I just had enough to get myself down there. All I had to do was expect that when I went down there, God would show up. God calls us to appointments, not to achievements. And we don't need an excess of resources. We just need the expectation that when we follow, God will show up. Uh, you are called to appointments, not to achievements. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to pause Maybe in the morning before the day starts, maybe stop and bow in prayer and say, Jesus, what do you want to call me to today? And then stop and listen, because he may not call you to someplace that feels significant. Maybe you're just called to come down and help at our pantry next time. But through your prayer for somebody in line at the pantry through your ministry with somebody else from the congregation, God will use that appointment to do more of significance than you have in mind. Just expect that when you're faithful, God will show up. Uh, or, for instance, another one, we have a, a growing need in our congregation for people who are willing to cook meals and take them to people who have been hospitalized or who have a loved one in the hospital or who have lost a loved one and just need, just need somebody to take care of a few meals for a week. If you're, if you're somebody who can cook, you don't have to have a lot of resources. You just have to have the expectation that when you say, hey, hey, I'll help, that God is going to set up appointments for you so that you'll make a difference where he, when he sends you. The day will come where we go to buy a second property as a church. And you may say, I don't know if I have enough resources to make a difference. You don't have to have a lot of resources. You have to have a lot of faith. When we step forward with our five loaves and two fish, God can do miracles. So as you go out today, don't go hunting for the achievement, God. And try to do more to make your name greater. Listen to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Jesus' call on your life. Go where he sends you. Go where he appoints you to go. You don't need an excess of resources. You just need the expectation that when you're obedient to Jesus, God will show up. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you can do more with our lives than we can. And you can do better with our lives than we can. So help us to relinquish the pursuit of achievement and to listen for and to accept your appointments. 
Show us the fruit of our ministry that we might know that life in you is better than the lives we would try to build for ourselves. Teach us to live in obedience. And as we do so, may we find fulfillment in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.